This morning's Old Testament lesson is Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose, trans whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like, the, like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. The New Testament lesson is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 through 21. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this from the Lord, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, and gave us the ministry of recon reconciliation, that is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespass against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. It's good to be here and have a chance to look at God's word uh, together with you. Let me adjust this for a moment. So a couple of Sundays ago, we began our summer, summer sermon series, and uh, this summer we're going to look at chapters 15 through 18 in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, this is the section of the Gospel in which Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, where he knows that he will suffer and die. And as he's on his way to Jerusalem, he is teaching about himself and the kingdom of God, and he's inviting all who hear to come and follow him. In chapter 15, it starts with three well-known parables. A couple Sundays ago, we saw Jesus' first story in which a shepherd with 100 sheep discovers that he has 99 of them, but one is missing. So he leaves the 99 and searches and searches until he finds the one that is lost. And then last Sunday, we heard the second story that Jesus told about a woman who has 10 silver coins but loses one of them. And she searches diligently, Jesus says, until she finds her missing coin. And in both cases, with the shepherd and the woman, when they find what is missing, there is a great celebration, inviting friends and neighbors to come and to celebrate what was lost is now found. 
And this morning we're going to look at the third story that Jesus tells out of the three. And it begins by saying, there was a man who had two sons. There was a man who had two sons. Now it's important for us to remember that Jesus wasn't writing these stories in his private journal or wasn't just telling them to a few people that were close to him. But Luke tells us that he was telling them in a specific time. That tax collectors and sinners were drawing near to him. They wanted to hear what Jesus had to say. But there were some Pharisees and some religious strong people, the religious leaders, who were shocked and did not like this, that they accused Jesus of receiving sinners and eating with them. Jesus does not distance himself from this charge, but rather leaning into it, tells these stories as a way to explain his ministry. And what I hope that we can do this morning is that we may see, along with all those who are hearing Jesus' story, that we may see God anew and ask, do we see God as the shepherd seeking his lost sheep? Do we see God as the woman searching her home to find the the valuable coin? And do we see God as the father who will love and receive both of his sons, both of which are lost? and both of sons which need to know and receive the Father's love. So let's look at our passage. This is Luke 15. We're going to read the first three verses just for context, then verse 11 through 32 to hear this parable that Jesus tells. You can follow in your order of worship or in your Bible. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear Jesus, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. And Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants." And he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But the older son was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and treated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. 
But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This is God's word given for our good. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus, the incarnate word, and we thank you for the word written in scripture that we can receive and that we can know you. We pray by your spirit that you would open our hearts and minds that we receive this word, not as, just as knowledge, but as a way for us to respond in faith and repentance. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, the story that Jesus tells is a well-known one, and it's a beautiful story, and there's much that we could talk about. Um, But there's two parts of the sermon I want us to do. I want us to look at two scenes, one, the father with the younger son and the father with the older son. And I want us again to see that both sons are lost and both of them need to be welcomed home, welcomed into the father's embrace and love. And I hope that through that we can see God as the father who loves us. So let's start with that first scene of the father and the younger son. The 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 young son comes and says, Father... Give me the share of property that is coming to me. Give me the property that is coming to me. Can we, let's picture this, the son, this young son standing face to face with his father. And, and what he's saying there, culturally, what he's saying in that moment is, I wish that you were no more. I wish that you were dead. That's the meaning that is carried in this request to the father. I don't want to wait. I want my money now. I want my inheritance now. It wasn't uncommon in that day for our father before his death to give ownership of the land to a son or sons, but he would retain the income. And the sons would run the land until the father had passed away, but the father would still benefit from it. But here there's something that's different going on. In this case, the son is seeking to use the inheritance for himself now, immediately. And in a culture that was less financially liquid than our own, in a setting where much of the wealth was tied up in family land, the son is saying no to the family, no to the community, and no especially to the father. And to agree to such a request would mean for the father to tear his life apart, really to give his life to his son. Yet the father responds to this unreasonable request with surprising generosity. Rather than disowning his son, rather than driving this son out of the house, which the crowds hearing Jesus' story, that's what they would have expected. Rather, the father grants the request and divides his property between his sons. And you see what the younger son does with it. Not many days later, after getting himself organized and gathered, he brings all his things together and he takes a journey to a far country. And there he squanders his property in reckless living. Why? What's to be found in the far country? And here I want us, maybe whether we've heard the story many times or this is the first time, that the far country here that Jesus is telling the story is functioning as, as a metaphor, as, as a place that, to go. Think, when I get to that place, then I'll be happy. When I get away from here and arrive in this other place, then things will be the way I want them to be. Then I'll be satisfied. And it's a chance for us to enter the story and to think about where it is that we direct ourselves. Where do we place our hopes or our sense of satisfaction? 
then this thing arrives, or when this is accomplished, then things will be good. I saw an article the other day titled, Are McMansions, Are McMansions Making People Any Happier? And the subtitle was, Homes Have Gotten a Lot Bigger, But Americans Aren't Any More Pleased with Their Extra Space. It goes on, this is a long article, but it says, interestingly, in the last 40 years, the average size of an American home has gone from 1,500 square feet to 2,500 square feet. But according to surveys, people aren't necessarily happier with the homes that they have. I only cite that as an example of the question of what will bring us happiness. Here's one example maybe of hoping that a certain size home will make things right. What is it for us? Here in this case, it seems like the younger son has in his mind that if I can unsun myself, if I can remove my connection to this father or to this place and go to a different one, a different place, then things will be right. It can be a house, it can be a person, it can be an experience, it can be a title, but all sorts of things that we might direct ourselves to as our far countries that we want to arrive at. And here Jesus tells the story in such a way that the young son goes off and he squanders his property. He squanders his wealth. And so it seems in this case, particularly this young son is seeking pleasure, seeking a life in which he is loving himself without worry about loving others. Kind of coming to the conclusion that life will be better when I can remove the connections or responsibilities I have upon me. And so he goes seeking the far country. And what happens? We see that two desire, disasters strike him at the same time. Jesus says he ran out of money, and he ran into a famine, and he finds himself empty. It reminds us of maybe what I mentioned earlier during the baptism, that Isaiah gives this picture of human beings that we often spend our money on that which does not satisfy the young son finds himself empty. The first event, no more money, is his fault entirely. Living in the moment, living for yourself, eventually comes to an end. The second event is not his fault, the famine, but it surely, certainly increases his difficulty. It exposes him. He finds himself alone and empty. Jesus says he begins to be in need and want. And it's in that time of need or in want that he begins to ask the questions that are deep within all of our hearts. Who am I? To whom am I connected? Where is home? And he's found that this journey that he's gone on has not made these questions any clearer, has not brought any answers to him. And so suddenly this Jewish son, far from home, hires himself out to a Gentile hog farmer. And it's in the midst of the herd of swine wallowing in their slop, himself bruised and soiled, that he perceives how bitter it is to have lost his father. Alone, broke, hungry and ashamed at that low point where the illusion of freedom has been exposed. He comes to himself, Jesus says. The young son comes to his senses. I will arise and go. And do you see in Jesus' story, where will the young son go? I will arise and go. Does he, does he say he'll go back to his community? No. To his village? No. To his family? No. I will arise and I will go to my father. 
I will go to my father. But in his hunger and in his condition, it is a painful reminder that he has left and that he took his inheritance. And so he wonders, what can I do? How can I return? How could I make things right? I'm no longer worthy to be called a son, but maybe I can earn a place. Maybe I can work as a hired hand. Father, please let me come back and work at least on your land. And so he sets off. But while the sun was a still a long way off, Jesus tells us in the story that the father saw him. While he was still a long way off, the father sees him and has compassion on him. He is moved and he runs and he embraces his son and he kisses him. Do you see? Do you know the father loved the son the whole time? Do you see that the father loved his son when his son told him he wished he was dead? He loved him when he squandered his wealth and when he was a total failure. He loves him now even as he's returning home in filthy rags. This old man has been watching for his son, and when he sees his son, he is moved and he begins to run. Who knew that this man could still run in his old age? but he's running as quickly as his legs will carry him. The wealthy landowner, the distinguished elder, runs publicly to his son. Certainly those who, on on the village, those who were working for this man saw this son, and with their whispers or with their yells, did not want him back. But the father gathered up his robes and ran to the son. He reaches him and embraces him, no words yet, He wraps his arms around him and kisses him with tenderness and with welcome. Can you picture it? The son begins his planned speech, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And here we need to recognize that this is right. He has no right to call himself a son. He's broken the relationship. He's left for a far country. But the father will have none of it. The father declares, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. The son returns empty-handed. He has nothing to give. He has nothing to give his father except his need for food, his need for clothes, his need to be washed, his need for forgiveness. And the father is happy to fill all those needs. The best robe, the family signet ring, the shoes, all of these are signs of his identity as a son. You are my son and I am your father. They are all signs and tokens of bringing this person back into the identity that the father will give him. Let us celebrate, bring the fattened calf, and let us eat and dance. Why? Because this son who has slandered his father, who squandered his life, the son who has proposed to return as nothing but a hired hand, this is my son. here Jesus invites us to consider the gospel, summarized in the Father's welcome, the one who says, I am no longer worthy to be called a son, is received as my son. And Jesus tells the story certainly to all that we're hearing to ask them, how do you see God? Do you see God as the shepherd, the woman, and this father? It's a question for all of us as well. Do we know this love? 
And do we see God expressed in Jesus in this manner? Have you come to your senses? To come to our senses, to come to ourselves, is ultimately rooted in the running of God. Running to you. And to the embrace of God as Father. This is our story in Christ. Your Father running to meet you, taking you into His arms, shouting to the world that this is my child who has come home. You see, one of the central questions that the Scriptures ask there's a number of things the scriptures ask, but one of the central ones from beginning to end is, does God leave us in our sin and misery? We all know, whether we are followers of Christ or not, that this world is broken and that there is misery present in us and around us. And the question that the covenant of scripture asks is, does God leave us in our sin and misery? And the story of this father, the story that Jesus is telling us, proclaims loudly, no, no. That God does not leave you in that place, but as a, a father welcoming home a son, God is making it clear that he has not forgotten or stopped receiving us. He does not require repayment. He doesn't place him in a position to earn his way back into the family. Rather, the father welcomes the son and gives him the title, the best robe, the family ring, shoes for his feet. And the father being delighted, being willing to absorb the cost to absorb the hurt and brokenness and shame of his son, to welcome home the son and to bear it in order to call him son and to invite all to come and celebrate. Well, this is the first scene of our passage. It's the primary one that Jesus tells, but there's a second part as well. There was a man who had two sons, and while the younger son is away in a far country, the older son has been busy in the fields busy with the family business. The night of the younger son's return, the elder son makes his way back to the house, probably after a busy day of work, and he hears dancing and music, and he calls to one of the servants and asks what's happening. Your brother has come home, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he's home. <clears throat> Can you imagine the elder son's reaction, the thoughts that he has? Some of us maybe can relate to the younger son. Some of us can feel the shoes of this older one. What? I don't have a brother anymore. And I want nothing to do with that, what the old man is doing right now. Your brother has come home. Your father has called for a celebration. And culturally, the elder son, it was important that he would be present at the party, that he would be there with his father to show the approval of what this was happening in the family. But Jesus says that this son was angry and refused to go in. And so the father goes out and asks him to come in. But the elder son responds with harsh words, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But this son of yours, who devoured your property with prostitutes, for him, you kill the fattened calf. Remember, the servant had given the message, your brother, your father. But here the elder son, in his anger, he is distancing himself. Instead of father, he says, look, you, look what you've done. And this brother is not called brother, but rather the son of yours. The son of yours. 
I worked hard as the model son. I stayed home. I worked the family business, done what was expected, succeeded where my brother has failed. And you see now the older son saying, look, the basic rules of life are broken. The way it should be is the one who works deserves more recognition than the one who squanders. And to celebrate the squander is to squander yourself. Honoring the irresponsible one is irresponsible. And so where does the older son find himself? He finds himself apart in the fields. Ironically, his refusal to go in and celebrate places him in the spot where the younger son just hoped to be. He just hoped he could be a hired hand. And now the older son in his anger finds himself outside of the family, outside of the celebration in the fields. You see that for the older son, it's not his badness that's keeping him out, but it's his goodness. It's not his sins that are keeping him from his father's feast, but it's his righteousness. The elder brother is lost not because he has sought what is wrong, but because he loves his good record, because his hope, his far country, is that he is better than his brother, that he's better than those around him. His hope is in his earning and his deserving a spot. And therefore, just like his younger son, he is lost, for he doesn't know what it is to be a son, a child. Dante's Inferno is an image that he speaks about people who are, it's important to them to always look right. He says that it's like having a jacket, a beautiful jacket made of a beautiful fabric, but if you open up the jacket, the inside lining is made of lead. This beautiful jacket filled with lead that you have to wear at all times heavy and burdened, that you carry around with you that people would see you in a certain way. Holding on to goodness, holding on to having a good record, this far country, it can be a challenge of religion, of morality. Sometimes that is the jacket we want to wear. It can be other things too, anything that we would use to lift ourselves up, to have status above others, but it is a weight upon us. And what does the father do? He calls him my son. My son. It would have been shocking for the father to have to go out and leave his celebration. He would have to go out, not just to go out to find a, a guest that didn't come, but his oldest son who refused to come in. It would have been embarrassing. But the father does it. He goes out and invites his son into the life of the family. For those of us who struggle with judging others, for those of us who want to hold on to being good, sometimes the path home can be through the forgiveness that God offers to others especially to those that we judge. The older sons embracing and celebrating the younger son would invite him in to being a child, invite him in to the joy and the forgiveness of the father. For all of us, our way home, is our way to life of our senses is to the embrace of the father, to confess that I am not superior to my brother, but I too am dependent like all others on my father's love on the gift of the title of child upon me. I'm going to wrap up by asking, how does the story end? How does the story end? Does the older brother come in? We don't know. 
But I imagine as the story ended, Jesus was looking at those Pharisees and the scribes, the religiously strong, the moral people in the crowds, and he was looking at them, wondering, would they celebrate the grace of God? Would they too come and receive God's embrace? The story is set up this way by Jesus to ask, what will we do? Where is our far country? Where is our hope? Will I share in my father's joy by repenting and acknowledging that I, like the younger son, need to come home? Will I share in the father's joy and be like the older son? Will I come in and celebrate God's grace? Will I turn to the father and allow his grace to embrace me? That his grace is the basis of me being called a son or daughter. That's the opportunity for us this day. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for who you are. We thank you for your grace in Christ, and we pray that we would see you, that we would know you, God, as a Father who runs to us and who embraces us even in the filth of our rags, and that invites us to come not based on our record, but on your love and grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.